720 WGN, three-time NBA champion with your Chicago Bulls. Still a very popular man around town whenever he shows his face in Chicago, which is not enough. BJ Armstrong, good to talk to you. Oh, man, great. Great to be here. Hope uh, all is well with you and yours, and you guys are staying safe and uh, just trying to you know get through it day by day. Yeah, it's crazy, right? How are you keeping yourself fit in these coronavirus and more importantly healthy during this time man it's 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 a it's a challenge for all of us yeah, it's, yeah i think you said it right it's a, it's a challenge and you know your your creativity as far as trying to really organize your day with your family your kids and trying to get some sense of normalcy uh, as far as what our routines are so forth and so on but you know what we're like everyone else uh we're just you know we're dealing with it and uh doing the best we can and really being as responsible as we can by just being self-contained and, uh, you know, trying to get as much information to, to see what we can do to help, uh, to help our neighbor and, uh, just keep it moving. So I want to ask you about the uh, Bulls new hire here, but before we get there, a little bit of props to your guy, D Rose, who had a great year. I, I, I loved watching it. It was, he's, he's now my all time favorite Detroit Piston, which was, that oh, no, that, that's great. You know, he's, uh, you know he's he, he's a, he's a he's a fighter, and uh, he just continues to figure it out, and uh, you know reinvent himself, and, and and really just continue to play, and and he's playing at a at a very high level. So I, I think it's been a great fit for him in Detroit, and and really kind of settling into uh, you know the player that he is now in this this stage of his career, and he's having a lot of fun, and I know he's enjoying. Um, playing and now he's in year twelve now I believe and so uh, time is flying by you know he, he, we we all saw him and the young kid who came into the league some ten eleven years ago and now all of a sudden now he's a he's a veteran and uh, so he, he's but he's doing great and um, you know he's continuing to you know just how to how to really play the game at a high level even though um, you know he's not the 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 the, the young exuberant athletic kid that we saw when he first came in he's still a very athletic you know different player but he just does it in a different way so it's a, it's been great to to watch his career progress and figure out how to really just you know you know do what he needs to do out there on the floor he got cracked around for making comments like i want to be able to you know play with my kids and i always thought that's like hey it, it's it, it wasn't it wasn't this like harmful comment that he made. I thought it was ridiculous how much heat he took on it. And then it sort of seems like it's coming into clear view. He just wanted to be able to play a hoop as long as possible because he loves it so much. I mean, that's what I'm getting from everything I hear from well, him now. When, you know, yeah. When you when you when you love something, right? You know, make, make no doubt about it. He he loves to play. Uh, he loves to compete. And uh, he's going to play as long as he possibly can. But, um, you know, the thing that you have to love and admire about a young man like that is, you know, he's he's comfortable with himself, first of all. And he also understands that, you know, we all have responsibilities. You know, we... you know, we all have to get outside of ourselves at some point, right? (laughs) So, I mean, we all have families. um, And when you grow up around family and love and unconditional love. And you have, you know, people that really you can look at and you trust those people because those people have your best interests at heart. Um, 
it kind of gives you a different perspective. And he certainly has a strong family foundation first. And, um, you know, for any, anyone that knows him, understands that about him, what his family means to him and, and the relationships he's built with all of his teammates. He respects that, that dynamic. He understands that dynamic and, um, you know, he has a gift and he wants to continue to, you know, share that gift, right? Going out there and playing and, and meeting people, inspiring people. And he carries that responsibility with him. So, you know what? That comes with the territory. We, he gets it. Um, you know, being in the spotlight myself for some time there in Chicago, you get it. You get what comes with that. And uh, he's accepted that and moved on and will continue to play and, and play as long as he possibly can. BJ Armstrong with us here. L- last one on Derek. Would you think you would prefer to be in a situation where he's in now, where he's going to have the ball in his hands more and play more minutes? Or do you think at some point he'd want to be like a 10 to 15 minute a guy off the bench for a you know a championship contender see in my mind like if it was me i'd rather play i'd rather be on a 32 win team and who's fighting to get in the playoffs and and getting a lot of responsibility on my shoulders than just to be a small contributor even at the end of my career if i and if i can miraculously put myself in in that mindset which i'm trying to do hmm. but and which i <laughs> right you know i mean i, I get it you know it's, um yeah you, you know when, when you play you you know, I was just uh, I had uh, on a I do a podcast called Pushing Through Podcast, yeah, and they just had um, uh, Rudy Tomjanovich, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was one of our guests, and you know, he said that one of the most interesting things that you know that I've heard over my thirty years of being in the NBA is, is two things that's really stuck out with me as far as the relationship with the player or coach, right? And one of the things I heard from the late Chuck Daly, and um, I got traded to the Orlando Magic, and he was the first coach who came up to me and said, do I have permission to tell you the truth? And it just, like, really struck me. Like, I was like, oh, wow, like, here's a coach, and he's asking me a question, right? He sees me. And then Rudy Tomjanovich said something the other day. I was asking him, how did he get into coaching? And he says, I got into coaching because I wanted to make sure that every young man that I came in contact with that I was able to give him the confidence to believe in himself. And I just thought that was very profound. And, you know, and as you were asking that question, I thought, you know what, I think the, the, the greatest thing that you could do in any situation is, yeah, we would all love to win. Make no doubt about it. Whether you play 10 minutes or you play 30 minutes, you just want to contribute and you understand your responsibility. But I think the big thing is to play with teammates and a coach and an organization who actually believes in you. And then you'll figure out the rest, right? We'd all love to be the star. And I think that's what makes, you know, our heroes because they are the central figure, right? The Michael Jordan characters, they're the central figure of the, of the act. But when you understand when you're part of a championship caliber team, everyone has a role to play, right? And everyone roles are just as valuable to make the star the star. But you know what? You need a Scottie Pippen. You need a... Uh, a Dennis Rodman, you need a Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright. Everyone has a part to play in this game. So I think at some point you just want to be around the people that understand the, the true concept of the team, and you'll go from there. So I love all of that. And one thing that I think people, I'll speak about myself, that you learn later in life is when you lift up people around you, yep. you, you get lifted up too. And yeah, 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 you know, for sure, for sure. 
And that's that's the greatest thing. And, and you know, that's the greatest thing ever that you can have is, you know, like when you, you think, you know, we we're talking about Derek, you know, the, the greatest thing for him was, you know, what for so long, you know, he played this game a certain way. And then suddenly when he fell down, the city lifted him back up. And, you know, his family and the people that love him and the game and his peers. And he was able to see the game from a different perspective. And then he's back playing now at such a high level. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, life is, you know, ups and downs. And we all have go through our trials and tribulations. But the great thing is that you keep pushing and you keep going and you keep doing it. And uh, you never know who who's looking. You never know who you're inspiring or you can be inspired by. So that's the great part. So you just... You know, you just keep, you know, you keep the, you know, fighting the good fight and you keep it moving. So I want to jump back in time for a second because you just got me all inspired about people lifting everybody up. And one of my favorite moments in watching you play and watching the Bulls play was the 93 season and Michael and Scotty are coming off the, the, the dream team. You guys are going for a three-peat. The team's a little bit tired. You're stepping into the starting lineup and you're down 2-0 to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Starks has the dunk in Game 2, by the way, that poster or that whole thing is still up in Madison Square Garden. Every time I walk by it, I'm like, who won that series? But, you know, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's hanging there. And so you guys win three, Game 3 and 4 at home. Now you got to go on the road to New York. And late in the game, Michael finds you for a three in the corner, and I remember distinctly you pointing at him and saying, way to find me. And then Charles had his four shots at the rim. And I think Michael stripped him. Horace blocked him. I mean, everybody was in on it. And Horace finally gets the gets uh, an outlet pass to Michael, fires that head to you. And you do a reverse layup at the end around Anthony Mason, who you ended up playing with, by the way, with the Hornets, just to throw that in there. Right. And everyone's jumping up and down. Michael's going crazy. Your hands are up in the air. I mean, that was a total team on the road dogfight moment and once you won that game I was like that's it that's another championship right there I mean that it really was the championship that night yeah well you know that was the the, the Knicks were uh if I recall I think the Knicks had a better regular season record that year and um yeah they had home court they were they, yeah they had home court they were a very confident team um and they really felt that they had a in a good team, and, you know, to their credit, they did have a good team, right? They have a, a very competitive group. They were very well coached. They had a great player in Patrick Ewing. They had great role players in Oakley and Stark, so forth and so on, Anthony Mason. And uh, it was a hard-fought match. Um, but we were a confident group as well, and uh, we knew we were going to have an opportunity at some point in that series to win a game. And that's all we had to – whether it came in game one, two – you know, five or seven. We knew we were going to have a chance uh, to win at some point, and um, and game five presented itself. So we were prepared for the moment, and of course, you know, we had great leadership from our our, our two best players, and uh, Fuel and the staff had us ready to play, and we were very fortunate. As you can see, games come down to really one possession, a loose ball here, a loose ball there, so we were very fortunate to win that game, but to the credit of everyone in that locker room and the team and the coaches and so forth, uh, we were prepared for that. And that's how we were looking at the series. It was just going to come down to a possession here or there. And um, we were fortunate to be able to go back and, and close that series out. But 
that was a that was a great time and uh, very competitive and uh, you know that was a great era in basketball. Yeah, it really was. I'm looking back at it here. The Knicks were 60 and 22. Y'all finished 57 and 25. And the Suns, who of course you played in the finals, they won 62 that year. And Charles' first year in Phoenix, he was having an unbelievable season. I, yep. I I remember um, one of the locker room scenes there, BJ, where I think you were sitting, I don't know, in one of the corners in Phoenix, and Phil comes over and he picks you up and he gives you a big hug. And correct me if I'm wrong here, you and Phil had your kind of ups and downs as you were finding your way in the league and what your role on the team was and you wanted to maybe do more and establish yourself and you had to fit into the whole structure, and there's something that hits you at that moment. I don't know if you're remembering this the way I am, but that's what it seemed like from a, from a fan standpoint. Well, you know, when you win and you go through so many things, there's a lot of mixed emotions. Like, um, I know I enjoyed every second that I played there in Chicago because I, I, you know, I was living out a dream. Right, my dream was to play in the NBA. Right, it didn't matter who I played for or. or how I got there. I just wanted to have an opportunity as a young kid to play. And then suddenly I get this opportunity and I'm playing in a wonderful city. I'm playing and unbeknown to anything I could have ever imagined as a kid, I'm playing for a world championship. So I was well beyond anything I ever imagined playing in the NBA. And, um, you know, it was really different time you know you you win one and you're like what is going on here you win another and it's suddenly <laughs> here we are again and uh i just remember the emotion like it just it, it, it comes right you don't know when it's going to come or how it's going to come i just remember at that moment when we had won because it was such a, a a big task we had like this amazing three four year run of just playing the game at such a high level and um you know, emotionally, you know, you, you play and it looks fun, but you don't really get a chance to really enjoy it while you're in it. So that was, I remember that was, that time was, we were all exhausted. We were just mentally, physically exhausted at that time. So that's what I do remember about it. And uh, it was certainly a great run that we had and uh, a great group of guys. And uh, like I said, we, we, uh, we took advantage of every opportunity. Yeah, I like that you just brought that up too, because, when you're in it, right, you can't enjoy it. You got to work the next day, work the next day. You got to perform. The lights are going to be huge. The pressure is there. I mean, how could you? You can't. In, in, there's no way you can enjoy that. I it, it, with just like with a smile on your face all day long when you've got that much heat on you to to go out there and do it every night. Well, you, you, well, you, you don't because you never really see the game from a fan perspective, right? It's so it's so fun for me now to go to the game with my with my kids because I can just like be a fan, right? I can just sit there and eat popcorn and you're watching the game and, you know, you're talking to your kids and I'm not looking at it from a technical standpoint. I'm not looking at it going, okay, where's the matchup? What what player are they running? What, and, and, and when I played, you know, you have a job to do, right? So, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, you're looking at the game and you're playing the game from a, from a different perspective. So, um, so it's been a lot of fun for me once I retired and, you know, just kind of, you know, I'm not, you know, working for the team or anything is I get a chance to really enjoy the game. So um, those were great times, um, but the strategy and the preparation for the games, um, those were fun, right? And those were fun because you could actually have a, you could affect the outcome of a game, right? Um, with a shot here or a steal there or what have you. So 
those were fun times. And, um, you know, I had some great coaches and great mentors and great people that allowed me to be able to play the game at that highest level because it takes more than talent, right? There's the you're just understanding how to play, understanding your position, understanding, you know, your rotations, understanding all of the technical things that go into being a, a pro, let alone a world champion. So I was very fortunate to be around great people and great basketball minds that allowed me to, to understand the game at a very high level, and um, I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, that 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 takes me to uh, what I teased about ten minutes ago, which is the the, the Bulls' new hire, our tourist Carney Sovis, who uh, is in charge of putting those great people around the organization. Uh, how well do you know our tourist, BJ? Yeah, I know a tourist very well, and um, you know. I've known him from in the business, um, just around here and knowing Denver, and you can see what Denver has done, the Denver Nuggets, and what they've done as far as building a, a very competitive team out there. So I know him very well, and, um, you know, he's been around. He's been in the business. He knows the business, understands it. So, you know, um, the NBA, is it's different. You know, when I say it's different, how you build a team, uh, I don't think there's a one way to do it or a special formula. You, it always comes down to, you know, really the essence of the game, right? You have to have great talent, and uh, you have to identify that talent. And once you get it, you know, more importantly, you have to be able to build a team because the difficulty of building a team now is, you know, everyone has the same um, the same issues that they have to do in dealing with salary caps and trades and injuries, so forth and so on. But I know our tourists, and you know what, he's very capable. Um, like I said, he understands the business. He's been around the business. And uh, I'm sure he's uh, he's welcoming the challenges of, of now coming to the Eastern Conference and uh, figuring out what he can and can't do and, and coming and getting familiar as he can with this roster and what he has to do to move forward. Do you have a sense of what his strengths will be and maybe what he'll have to learn along the way? Can you get that in-depth on him or no? Well, I, I, I don't because, you know, you know I, I'm not – Really, you know, I don't have an opportunity to, to look behind the scenes, peek behind the curtain. But what I do know is that, you know what, the Western Conference is tough right now. And yeah. when you look at the Western Conference, I think for the most part, uh, we would all agree that the Western Conference, as far as the elite teams, is probably better. The, the better talent right now has shifted to the West, right, with the Clippers and the, and the Lakers and, you know, even Golden State is hurt right now, but you have, you know, Houston and so forth and so on. So the, I think the better conference, if you were to look at from top to bottom, would be in the Western Conference. So, And you look what they've done there in, in Denver. And Denver has put together a very competitive team. Um, they were able to build their team for the most part through the draft. And um, like I said, but you know what? The other teams, they've built their teams through free agency. Some have built their teams through trades. There's really no one way to do it, but what we do know is we got to. When you see a great player, you got to you got to hone in and try to build around that talent. So um, I don't know, but well, like I said, he's been around, so he's very experienced. I'm sure he will identify what he needs to do there and, and kind of go from there. Outside looking in, this gets talked about a ton. The Bulls can't get marquee guys to come here, and and so you know, I don't know how NBA guys look at Chicago right now, but. To me, tremendous fans in this city, as you well know, great basketball town, period. And sure, there's the legacy of Michael, but I don't, I mean, are guys afraid to step into that? I don't, I don't think so. So, I mean, going forward, I don't know if they can, you know, if Anthony Davis is going to come here or, or, or whoever, but you, do you see Chicago as 
Like, do you think guys look at that as a place where they'd want to play, or, is it, or do the Bulls, I guess, have work to do to sort of present it that, hey, this is a great place to play basketball? Well, I think that's a great question, right? And, you know, being an ex-player and being an executive, a former executive and now, you know, representing, you know, players now, I get a chance to work with all 30 teams, right? And I'd love to hear – you know, the following, we have the best fans in the world. Every, every organization has the best fans in the world, right? right. You let them tell it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, you know, I go to all the arenas now and I see, okay, I see how the Cleveland fans are. I see the Detroit, I see the Bulls, so forth and so on. Um, I'm always biased, right? Because I, 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 I've seen the best of the best in Chicago. And I think I can say, uh, Chicago is right up there. I will put them up there with any fans in the NBA. They are terrific, right? Um, and they they know their stuff. They're very knowledgeable, right, uh, what they're doing. Now, in saying that, it's also when you have a great player and you have a great you know, player that we're talking about or whomever, you know, those players, that's a tremendous responsibility to just pick up one place and just leave, right? You don't just... You know, there's a lot of things that go into making that type of decision. So uh, I think that sounds good on paper, but these, you know, in peeking behind the curtain, if you will, right? These, you know, these these players, they have families, they have a comfort zone with you know how they play, who they play with, um, the coach, so forth and so on. So I think it's more than just saying I love this city. In the end, you have to be comfortable with the people you work with. So building their relationship with the player three, four years and having success, that means something to these people, right? Not the player, just to the people. So, you know, I, I look at the Warriors who've probably had the most success over the last five or six years. I think the best way to do it, if you're going to really give yourself a chance to be a champion, is you got to do it through the draft. Because that allows you to build a relationship with the people, you know, they're great players, but if you don't have a relationship with the people there, you really have no chance. There's no trust, right? That's the, that's the one thing that I've learned. So um, if you're going to do it and do it at a high level and have any type of sustainability moving forward, doing it through free agency is very difficult because you're probably going to catch that free agent, probably not in his prime. You're going to catch him probably at some point where he's a little past his prime or before he enters into his prime um as a player as a as a player right and yep. but what you can what does give you uh, an advantage is when you draft a jordan you're able to cultivate that talent figure out what that talent needs as far as his strengths his weaknesses what he's going to need what type of coach you're going to need what type of system what we what kind of support he's going to need that we're going to need if we're going to really be a championship caliber team so i think the draft and Golden State has proven it again that that is the best way to do it. And if you're going to do it and do it for a while, because you never know when that player is going to be at its peak peak. You know, it may for a for a point guard, it may be in year three through six in a in a you know a Shaquille O'Neal type of player, a big player. It may be you know year seven through eleven. So it just depends. And you hope that you can have your best player playing at his peak and coming together at all the time, and it's really an educated guess. And I think the best way to do it, if you're going to do it and, and really try to do it at a high level, is to do it through the draft, in my opinion. See, and I totally agree, and it's part of the reason why the Bulls, you know, when they when they got 
lucky and got the number one pick. Number one, they didn't blow it, and they took Derek, and that elevated the right. franchise, and they were there. And in 84, they got lucky that Portland took Sam and Michael fell in their lap. And that's what people say, well, luck's not a plant. Yeah, well, you got to get lucky in the NBA. You got to get a star. I mean, you look at San Antonio. They, you take Tim Duncan and you, you take a Kobe Bryant, right? The Lakers. And sure. you, 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 get, you, you have to draft these players and then you have to, I mean, if you're really going to do it, you really have to know your players better than anyone else. And that takes time. That takes effort. You know, you have to put a great team of people around. You're going to throw a lot of ideas. And then you hope that when that player is ready to win, right, because no one wins until your best player is ready to win, right? <laughs> your best player has to be ready to win. And, uh, and when you draft that player, you look at this kid, Giannis. Like, Giannis, you know, I, you know it, when I watch him, I go, as good as he is right now, he's not in his prime, in my, you know, humble lens that I'm watching the game. But once he gets in his prime and he's around the players that's going to complement what he really does, which is his versatility, versatility as a player, I think this kid is going to run through the NBA like we haven't seen. He's going to make a serious run whenever that comes because he, he hasn't developed yet a consistent jump shot. So as good as he is now, and he's already winning, he's already won an MVP, right? He may win another one this year. Once he develops a consistent jump shot, right, not even a three, just a consistent jump shot, what are they going to really do with this young man? Because he has all of the intangibles that you want, right? He can defend, he can rebound, he can pass, he can score, he's got toughness, he can put it on the floor. I just think when you have these players of that level of excellence, it really gives you an unfair advantage over the rest of the team because you have this player and you know exactly what it is. You're not just getting them trying to, piecemeal this thing together in a, in a year or two because you don't know when it's going to when it's going to end so you know that's just an example of how i think if you're going to do it that's the best way to do it it's interesting that you bring up Giannis because when i completely agree with you like you are going to be the best player in the game if you're not already although i if, if it's for one year right now i'd still take lebron but this talent is supreme and when th- the lights get the brightest with him. He still kind of reverts back to trying to bull his way through versus just relying on his talent, shoot the jump shot, you know, do the easy thing because he's not quite there yet. That's how I see it with with Giannis. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I, I get it. And look, as the team, as you advance, every team gets that much better, right? You know, the first and when you went in in the first round. You know, it requires a different, a different level when you get to the second round, when it gets to the conference finals, and when you get to the, in, to the NBA finals, you're playing against probably the superior or the very best of the best, especially on the defensive end, not only individually, but as from a team aspect. He has a flaw in his game right now, right? Every player has a flaw, and his flaw is right now he doesn't have a consistent jump shot. So... His major flaw right now gets highlighted, which if his jump shot, you know, he doesn't have a trust in it yet, so he tries to get to the basket even more. But as you advance, the defenses, you know, that these coaches and these players come up with, they get better and better and better. That's why they're in the NBA Finals. So once he develops that part of his game, because <laughs> there's nothing you can do with him. I mean, this kid's seven feet. You know, he's a seven-footer who is just – you know, he's an incredible, incredible player. And once he develops just a consistent jump shot, you know, just from the free throw line, that's, that's it. 
it's over because there's nothing any no one in this league can guard him in transition or in the half court. And he's now he's a good enough passer where you can't double team him. So once he just puts that one element in his game, there won't be a player in this league that can guard him. And he will have a run. I think he will have like a Jordan type run once he just does that one thing. If he gets a three point shot, it'll be over. Because <laughs> <laughs> now he'll create so much space on the floor. He's a, he's a very, very unique player because of his size. I mean, he's a seven footer who basically, think about this. At one point in time in his career, they had him at the point guard as a seven footer. So he's. He is incredibly versatile. He's uh, he's athletic. He has all of the things, but right now he just has this one part of his game, which you know, like I said, every every player has something. But I think he'll figure it out. I mean, as crazy as this sounds, he's much better this year than he was last year. <laughs> he was he, MVP last year. Yeah, he's a very unique player. I mean, no one I've ever seen can grab the rebound and be up the court in four strides, I mean, <laughs> or if he gets it, you know, around the three-point line, it's it's two steps and he's at the rim. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, he, like I said, he just, he's very unique. So, you know, imagine him playing. You know, when I look at him, I go, okay, if, if you know, he's, he's good in the half court, but imagine him playing with a Scottie Pippen type player. Yeah. Or a, a player like that. Now, what are you really going to do? Because, you know, he's so versatile. He's athletic. And now the, you, you, he, he's able to switch and do all the things defensively that now the great teams can do, right? Like, so Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you couldn't run single-double against those guys because they could just switch. It didn't matter. They were both first-team all-defensive players. So now if you put another all-defensive player on the wing with this guy, Oh, it's true. Imagine how good that. I mean, come on. I mean, you're talking about this kid. He doesn't have to score to dominate the game. So, I mean, I just get really excited watching him because you know that Milwaukee has a they have a they have an incredible bright future with this young man, and he's just one example. But you know, when you see players like that, you get really excited because you know the the possibilities are endless if you can catch everyone right in their prime. Yeah, they got a, they have a phenomenal shot at it. And by the way, I don't know if basketball is coming back here, but if we just want to do the finals and line up Milwaukee and the Lakers, I will watch for the record. I, I'm, I'm, you know, that's not yeah, ideal. That would be pretty good. That would be really. That would be really. That would be a great finals. You know, that would be terrific. You'd see some magnificent players on both ends, and uh, that would peak. That would peak a lot of people's interest. I, I did see Doc talking though this week that he thinks the clips are coming together real nice and. He's confident if there's if there's hoop that they'll be right there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, when you that's one thing living out here in LA, it's it's been great to watch basketball and the Clippers. They have a, you know, look, Kawhi Leonard is he's another player that's really elevated his game to now he's he is uh he's a difference maker and he's arguably, you know, if he's not number 1, he's 2, he's right there where however you have him but defensively, no one can dispute that he will he will change the game on that end. And offensively, now he's put in a consistent shot. He has uh, really shown that he can play consistently in big moments at big times. 
and score against anybody. It doesn't matter who's guarding him now. And uh, he's really one of the elite players in this league at the championship caliber level. Right? He, he can go from one conference to another to another organization, and suddenly now they, are, they feel they have a legitimate chance to win a championship. So uh, the Clippers will have something to say about this, and uh, hopefully – you know, for us basketball fans, um, you know, we'll be able to resume play. I don't know how realistic that is at this time, but you know what? It certainly makes for a great story. Yeah. It, who knows what's going to happen here? Fingers crossed, but obviously there's more important things than, than playing, playing buckets right now. But, uh, BJ, great to be with you. It was fun. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. And you guys stay safe and uh, be well. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let's talk after this. Uh, I think there's a documentary coming out here. I believe it's called The Last Dance. So, uh, yeah, something's coming up. I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I've heard, we've heard about it a little bit. I, I look forward to catching up and seeing, seeing your reaction to what they put together over there. All right, you guys. Take care. All right, BJ. Be good.